welcome to Plodcast, episode forty-seven. Good to have you with. Good to have you with us here. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to be um, treated to the spectacle of a Revoice conference in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, sponsored by a PCA church, a Memorial Presbyterian, I believe. And there are some, uh, and uh, Covenant Seminary is there in St. Louis, and there are some people from the seminary who are associated with the conference, although um, uh, although the seminary has disavowed any kind of sponsorship uh, link. There's still uh, a presence there. So what is the Revoice uh, Conference? Well, uh, in recent years, a, um, a doctrine has developed in the evangelical and reformed wing of the church that says that basically someone can have a gay identity. They can be a lesbian or male homosexual. They can be, have a gay identity and be a Christian who's walking with the Lord, provided that they live a celibate lifestyle. So by celibate, they mean um, abstaining from sexual relations. In other words, their identity can be gay, but their behavior in the bedroom cannot be gay. They cannot marry. Uh, so um, um, advocates of the gay celibate position are opposed to same-sex, um, what I call same-sex mirage, but they're, they're opposed to same-sex marriages. They're opposed to same-sex sexual expression, but they're not opposed to having a queer identity or a, a gay identity. Uh, one, of the, one of the talks for this conference uh, speculated as to what queer treasures might be brought into the New Jerusalem. Um, so basically what it boils down to is that you can be as effeminate in your mannerisms and in your public disposition as you want to be, and no one can say different because the Bible doesn't prohibit that. The Bible does prohibit um, having your flame on in the bedroom, but it doesn't prohibit uh, walking with a mincing step or um, being effeminate in your man mannerisms or in your emotional outlook. Um, so a gay identity is fine. Gay sexual expression is not fine. And uh, what this conference is intending to do is um, invite LGBTQ plus, you know, whatever all the other letters might be, uh, to consider the historic traditional Christian church, inviting um, LGBT, etc., cetera, uh, folks into the church to a place where they cannot express their sexuality using their genitals, but they can express their sexuality the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they write, etc. So part of the problem is that people don't see, they're clearly don't see, or they're pretending to not see, the connection between effeminacy in manner and what winds up happening sexually. So you don't want to start something you can't finish. You don't want to um, feed the beast. So if, if the uh, problem 
the, if, the, if the problem of homosexual desire is simply a matter of sexual, raw sexual appetite, raw sexual desire, totally detached from everything else, then this might make sense. But if, but if it's the result of your relationships and how you relate to the world, how you relate to your mom, how you relate to your dad, how you relate to your friends, how you relate to everybody, then the quality of your relationships is going to be a significant driver when it comes to your explicitly sexual temptations. Um, and I also ought not to talk about this very long without, without um, uh, referring to 1 Corinthians, where it has a li- 1 Corinthians 6, where it has a list of sins, and, and the ESV translates uh, two sins as one, those guilty of homosexual practice. Um, but there are two words there, um, and one of them is malakoi, um, and and it literally means basically soft men. Elsewhere, Jesus, uh, when he's talking about how rough cut John the Baptist was and, and how dainty uh, men who lived in king's palaces were, he, he calls them by uh, that name. They were the malakoi, or that man is malakos. He's a, he's a soft one. He dresses in silk clothing. He, he, he's dainty. All right, so um, uh, in Scripture, uh, Paul identifies what, what we, would might, we might call light in the loafers or metrosexual or uh, uh, effeminate in manner, gesture, and so on. Um, that fits with the prohibition in 1 Corinthians 6. And then uh, the other word simply means basically coupling with another man. So um, I would argue that what you see in uh, the King James Version, where those two words are represented by two English words, effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind, um, is much closer to what Paul actually wrote. So we have to face the fact that a lot of water has gone under the bridge in any homosexual's life before he winds up in the bedroom with someone of the same sex for the very first time. It's, this, is not, this is not a temptation that would happen three days. It's not like homosexual temptations arise three days before your first homosexual encounter. What happens is oftentimes it runs back years, runs back into childhood, runs back into all kinds of uh, uh, situations and dynamics. And boys need to be taught how to be masculine. Girls need to be taught how to be feminine. And so um, when, uh, when we accept this responsibility, we see that how people behave sexually when they are grown has more than a little bit to do with how much time their dad spent in the yard with them teaching them how to throw a ball. Now, uh, I, I need to uh, rush to qualify myself here because uh, somebody's going to say, Wilson said that you could fix homosexuality by teaching someone to throw a ball. Um, no. What I said was there's a, uh, there's a whole lifetime of... Um, 
conversations, interactions, time spent, um, and it, it is simply undeniable that many homosexuals are trapped in that particular lifestyle because of a crummy relationship with mom or dad or both. And so um, I'm, I'm afraid, um, and I'm more than just a little afraid, I, I'm, I, I would like to assert that this Revoice Conference, um, ostensibly saying we want to minister to homosexuals, we want to minister people who are uh, in this um, lifestyle by letting them keep everything that they can possibly keep. And then we'll just say no at the last minute. We'll just say no to any kind of overt copulation. That's what we'll say no to. But you can be as queer as you want to be in your public behavior, and we want to be affirming and welcoming and nurturing. Uh, I think it's uh, counterproductive in the extreme. So the book I'm recommending to you uh, here for podcast episode 47 is Subtracting Christianity by Joe Sobrin. Subtracting Christianity by Joe Sobrin. Um, I should say the late Joe Sobrin. He is um, uh, died a few years ago. Uh, I first encountered him when uh, he wrote for National Review. He wrote for National Review, I think, for over 20 years, for a long time. And I, I subscribed to National Review uh, back when I was in high school, and uh, have been a subscriber down to the down to the present. So I, I grew acquainted with his thinking and his writing there. Um, a number of years ago, he had a falling out uh, with William F. Buckley, the editor of the magazine, and was fired from the magazine, largely revolving around uh, Sobrin's attitude toward Israel and the. Um, uh, the view that Buckley took, which was that um, that Sobrin was uh, anti-Semitic or toying with anti-Semitism, etc. And I, I need to address that because what this book is, Subtracting Christianity, is um, it's a collection of his columns. So he wrote uh, over many years. So um, uh, Sobrin was a faithful Roman Catholic. He's got a number of uh, columns criticizing popes or defending popes, uh, defending Catholicism, but he's not a bigot, and he he writes affectionately about his Protestant friends, and um, um, so you, so I'm kind of a Puritan, and uh, so I would bump up into his uh, Catholicism from time to time, but when it comes to his political outlook, I was uh, pretty uh, on on track with what he said much of much of the time it's um it's it's a just he's an engaging writer very um very capable writer and he's always provocative always makes you uh, think there's a section right near the end of the book where they included some of the, some of his columns on uh the israel question he's certainly not a zionist i didn't pick up any animus at all toward jews but I did pick up um, a number of criticisms of, this, of the nation of Israel. Some of those criticisms I thought were a fair cop. Some of, some of his criticisms of Israel I thought were, frankly, silly. Um, but he is always uh, engaging, always makes you think. So 
you know, and, and as one of his defenses, um, and this is an example of how pithy he could be, um, he says at one point that it used to be uh, it used to be that an anti-Semite was someone who hated Jews. He said now an anti-Semite is someone who is hated by Jews. So um, he goes out of his way to disavow any kind of personal uh, uh, animus uh, toward toward Jews. Uh, he, he just doesn't want anything to do with that. But he does have a cockeyed view of um, what's going on in the Middle East. So I, I, I would distance myself from him geopolitically there, but I, I, I would commend him to you as a sane, healthy, happy voice for traditional Christian values. He's particularly good on um, anything related to the homosexual uh, revolt, the homosexual rebellion. He is just very... Um, solid, just very sound on that. Subtracting Christianity. Uh, it's an obscure little publisher. I forgot who it is, but it is available on Amazon. So we're continuing with podcast. We're now at episode 47. And we're also continuing, if you recall, the word hamartano and hamartia, the words for uh, the, the verb and noun for sin. Um, in the Bible, there's so many instances of it that we've had to split it up and spread it over a number of episodes. So uh, let's consider the book of Acts. The word hamartano is used once by Luke in Acts, where it is rendered as offend in um, Acts 25.8. The apostle Paul was defending himself against Festus and says that he is not offended in any way, whether against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. He was not behaving in an offensive way. He was not standing before Festus because he had sinned against the civic or the ecclesiastical orders. Hamartia is used eight times in the book of Acts. The first is where Peter tells the crowd at Pentecost to repent and to be baptized for the remission of sins, um, Acts 2.38. Um, incidentally, uh, if any... any um, stout fundamentalists listen to this and you've some of you in the past you've tripped over uh, the Nicene Creed where you believe in one baptism for the remission of sins and you say that's just Catholic um, there's a way a Protestant way of uh, interpreting the Nicene Creed just say let's interpret the Creed there the same way we interpret Acts 238 because that teaching comes right out of the Bible in the next chapter Peter's preaching again and he tells the people to repent so that their sins might be blotted out. That's in Acts 3.19. When Peter is giving his courageous reply to the Sanhedrin, he says that Jesus was hanged on a tree in order to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. That's in 5.31. When Stephen was about to die, he called upon the Lord not to lay the sin of murder to his attacker's charge. That's in chapter 7, verse 6. Peter preaching to Cornelius in his household, said that whoever believed in Christ would receive remission of sin, Acts 10.43. Paul offers this promise as well, forgiveness of sins, in his, in his message at Pisidian Antioch, which is in 1338. 
And when he's preaching to his countrymen, giving his testimony, he recounts how Ananias told him to be baptized and to wash away his sins. Uh, Acts 22, 22, 16. When Paul, speaking before Agrippa, he he recounts his commissioning as an apostle, in the course of which Jesus sent him to preach to the Gentiles that they might receive forgiveness of sins. Acts 26, 18. We can see from all of this that apostolic preaching frequently included the topic of sin. The relative absence of sin in much of modern preaching is therefore a great mystery. Our, our theologians are still working on it. God in the time of the sickness, God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.